Well, we are again walking through Isaiah, and I did assign quite a few chapters if you were looking in the announcements. I think uh, Isaiah 41 through 47 uh, are chapters. You can go and, and read those this afternoon if you, if you didn't. Um, I encourage you to read them at some point because these are some beautiful words. Um, just uh, beautiful images uh, of God and how Yahweh is caring for His people. Um, I was reminded yesterday we were, went on a hike and the hike turned a little bit longer than what we had anticipated because uh, somebody didn't quite read the map quite correctly. <clears throat> um, but we were in the woods and uh, we were getting a chance to admire all of the uh, the different things that are a part of the woods, so uh, spider webs and and mushrooms and and different. And oh, oh, we've not been having problems with our microphone, and we just found the problem. Or where's that, Mike? We good for now? All right. Anyways, back to the forest. Get, we got a chance to see all of the, the neat things, um, but we didn't really get a chance to see the large area that we were in. So we were taking in the trees, but not the forest. And what we're going to do this morning in the sermon is kind of take a step back and look at the forest and what I'm going to encourage you to do on your own is go and look at the trees, the individual verses and, and uh, movement that is happening in this section, Isaiah 41 to 47. This is a long way to go to make an illustration. As we do that this morning, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this day. And God, in the, this section of Scripture, this beautiful poetry from the prophet that comes forward, I thank you both for the trees and the forest. I thank you that both of them are proclaiming your glory, proclaiming your majesty, proclaiming your love for us and your desire and the, the lengths that you will go to to be restored to your people. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over this section, there is a bit of a, um, a scene that happens, a trial scene. The, the prophet kind of keeps coming back to this idea of, of God, Yahweh, being on trial, having questions asked of him and his response. And so there's a series of accusations being made and we're going to look at the way Yahweh responds. Yahweh is being accused of forgetting Israel or else maybe not being powerful enough to deal with the gods and the kings of Assyria and Babylon and Persia. 
And we're going to be looking at Yahweh's response to these accusations. These chapters really provide us with something of a background or summary of Israel's history uh, of being a chosen people. They are reminded in a number of places of Yahweh walking with them in Exodus from Egypt through the sea, through the wilderness, through the, the Jordan River, and into the Promised Land. They're also reminded of their original mission as chosen people. <clears throat> See, Yahweh's plan at the, at the very beginning uh, for Israel was to bless all nations and, be th- and that Israel would be the conduit through whom Yahweh might bless and save and rescue the nations, all people. And so Abraham is, is, is told that up front, I'm going to bless your people in order that they might bless others. Going very, back to the very beginning of Scripture in creation, the project that for, for humans was to be in relationship, uh, God wanted to be in relationship with all of humanity. God wanted to, to continue to walk in the, in the, in the cool, spirit-filled time of the day with all humans. But Adam and Eve messed that up. And so God wipes the slate clean and tries again to, to bless all humanity through Noah. Uh, and that lasts a few hours before, after they unload the ark. Um, something's happening there between Noah and his sons and all of the, the brokenness and, and the, the fractured relationships carry on over. And so that brokenness continues. Then Yahweh decides that he's going to uh, work through one group of people and bless the world through this one group. This project, too, isn't the straightforward role maybe we hoped it would be. Often Israel isn't doing anything any differently than anyone else around them. They look like everyone else. They worship idols like everyone else. They treat one another the same as everyone else. Other times we see them withdrawing from the surrounding nations to be their own holy huddle. But this isn't their calling either. And so the people of God end up in exile. It's a, a consequence uh, of their own choices, of their, their own making. God allows it to happen. God allows them to be taken into exile and to experience this wilderness wandering judgment time called exile. And even in the midst of this, Israel has continued to question Yahweh. And so they're some of the people that are raising these questions against Yahweh. Asking questions about Yahweh's power and presence in the midst of exile. Why are we here? Aren't we chosen people? Why isn't God taking care of us? Why are we exiled in Babylon? What's happened to the temple? Why are we here? And when we go through hard stuff in life, Understandably, there are questions that, that come up, hard questions, that we ask about where God is, or is God really powerful, or is God really good? So part of this unfolding of chapters is God responding, 
and actually affirming, I know what's happening. And, and this stuff that's happening isn't happening because I'm neglectful. It's happening to, to shape. It's happening to mold. It, it, it's happening so I can have a, an opportunity to, to call you back to myself, is what Yahweh is saying to the people in exile. There, Yahweh is also being questioned if pagan gods aren't stronger than him. Again, the ancient world basically judges the power of a god by its victories, by the, the physical armies winning battles. And so when Israel and Judah have been conquered people, have, have lost the physical battles, many people in the ancient Near East look on and they assume that the gods of Israel and the god of, of Judah is less powerful than their own gods. Over these series of verses, Yahweh is asking, where have these other gods been at? Can they tell you what has happened in the past? Can they tell you what's happened in the future? Were they there at creation? Are they giving counsel to me? Are they anything other than wood and gold and stone put together and manufactured by a craftsman? Yahweh asking these questions in response. Over these chapters, we see Yahweh responding. Lots of rhetorical questions asked about who has created and sustained the universe. Questions about what other gods can speak of what's happening in the world. Beautiful passages of, of praise and, and worship as, as the, the, the prophet is just glorifying God and, and, and responding to all of the ways that God has created and sustained and, and, and just the glory and power of Yahweh. Beautiful passages. We also see that exile was judgment, not neglect for Israel's actions. Yahweh explains that He has not forgotten His people. He knows right where they are. He knows their trouble. He knows their struggle. He knows the hardships they're dealing with. It's not because the gods of Assyria and Babylon were too powerful that Judah ended up in exile. Yahweh reveals that it is a a refining judgment, a getting rid of the stuff that doesn't need to be there. It's an opportunity for these people to be reminded about God's love, about the God who has walked with them through Exodus, who has walked with them through the Red Sea, who has walked with them through the wilderness. This is all a reminder, calling them back to a God who loves them immensely. A refining judgment. And what is revealed over these passages is that Yahweh is still in deep, deep, passionate love for Israel and is planning to redeem and save them Himself. Yahweh reminds His people of how He's cared for them in the past. Remember our history. Remember what we've been through together. 
We said last week that exile is like going back to the place of their first date to be reminded of their love and their history together. And we see in a number of these, these passages Yahweh just expressing His love despite the way Israel has turned its back on God over and over and over. Despite the grumbling, despite the idol worship, despite the treating the outcast in the way that everybody else Despite all of that, Yahweh is affirming his love over and over again for these people. Beautiful, beautiful words of expressed love. We kind of come to the climax or, 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 or one of the central points that we read in our scripture this morning, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 13. And here in the middle of this section, we have this image of a loving, rescuing God. A God who goes to incredible lengths to bring these people back to himself, to renew and rekindle this this deep connection, this deep intimacy that they once had with one another. We're reminded that the maker and the creator of the universe cares. For these people. It says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are a precious people. You are special to me. And I'm doing everything to bring you back. Yahweh goes on, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. These are references again back to Exodus and walking through the sea. They're reminders of crossing the Jordan River into the promised land. Yahweh speaks of uh, walking with them through the fire. These are uh, possible uh, um, references to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The city would have, would have been burned, and, and God was walking with them through those experiences. You think of other times where God is walking with people through the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're thrown into the fire, and suddenly there's this fourth person in there with them. God is reminding them that despite all of the, the things, the hardships that they've been through, God has been there with them. God has walked with them through really hard times before, and God is going to continue to walk with them through exile and through the things they'll face in the future. Yahweh is describing the lengths he will go to in order for Israel to be restored, giving up Egypt and other nations just to be with you. These other uh, empires that everybody thinks are so precious, I'm willing to give them up to be back in relationship with my people, with those that I've called to be a special people and to bless others, the people that I've wanted to partner with and, and work through to bless everyone everywhere. I've not given up on that project. I've not given up on that partnership with you. 
It says, do not fear. Because Yahweh is planning to bring you back together and deliver you again from exile. (coughs) Yahweh wants to partner with Israel again in blessing the nations. They are called to be Yahweh's witnesses. So continuing on from what we read this morning. Verse 14 says this, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. Who's, who's redeeming these people? God is redeeming these people. The Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars. And the shouting of the Chaldeans will be turned to lamentation. This exile thing is coming to an end. It will come to an end. I'm going to free you again. I'm going to redeem you again. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. (coughs) Excuse me. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. These places of barrenness, these places of wilderness, these are the places I want to breathe new life. This is where I want you to experience a refreshment. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices, I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me with sweet cane with honey or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. Rather, you have burned, burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. These are reminders to Israel of their story. These are reminders of their faithfulness. These are reminders of how they got into the exile in the first place. And yet, yet, I alone am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Accuse me, let us go to trial, set forth your case so that you might be proved right. Your first ancestor sinned and your mediators rebelled against me, therefore I Profaned the princes of the sanctuary, I delivered Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. <coughs> There's a sort of a back and forth here in Yahweh's response. Yahweh has cared and continues to care deeply, but Israel has continually rejected Yahweh. And Yahweh is a, is a holy God. 
which we've often framed around the thought, therefore God can't bear to be in the presence of sin. I know how many of you had to do this uh, at some point in your schooling career. I remember back in high school reading through Jonathan Edwards' uh, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. We had to read it in the literature class. Um, if you're looking for a pick-me-up, I would not recommend going and reading this sermon. <clears throat> it is filled with a lot of judgment and wrath and, and angriness. Um, and I guess at the time it must have done the job, whatever the, the job was that Jonathan Edwards was, was trying to, to do. But it focused in on a wrathful God who could not bear to be in the presence of people so sinful. It was written and published back in 1741. <clears throat> and it was quite literally about scaring the hell out of people into receiving Jesus. It was a different day and a, a different age. But also not the picture we see here of Yahweh. What we see here is that Yahweh's love is driving Yahweh to redeem and to rescue and to blot out the sins and stop remembering them. God's holiness and his love are leading him to redeem and restore these people and to provide a way back into relationship, not to hold them at arm's distance, but to welcome them back and to love and care for them. <coughs> yes, God is holy. You think back to the earlier part of Isaiah where Isaiah has a vision of the throne room and he cries out because he is a person of unclean lips living with an unclean people. But it's not an attitude that drives God away from relationship. Instead, it's about rescuing and saving so that humanity can be back in relationship with God. Isaiah's vision as he uh, was touched with a glowing ember, now Yahweh is seeking to rescue his people. Recently, I heard the analogy of God's holiness being like the sun. <coughs> the sun is hot, the sun is, is burning, and the sun is, is very other. That's just the nature of the sun. And yet the desire is not to keep us away and afraid, but to come out and to enjoy the glow and the warmth of the sun. And actually God so desires relationship with us that God wants to clothe us in a sun suit to come closer and closer to the sun. Unfortunately for Israel, part of their experience is that Yahweh allows the consequences of their choices to play out, and that's why they're in exile. Yahweh is still in control, and exile will not last forever. Yahweh is still ordering things and in control of things, Babylon will also be disciplined for its abuse of per by Persia and Cyrus. One of the interesting things, things that happens near the end of this passage is that uh, someone refers to the, the anointed one, the Messiah. And they name that Messiah in this passage at this time as Cyrus. <coughs> I have water here. 
Yahweh in ordering history, in, in bringing about the rescue of his people, is actually going to uh, call in a, uh, another pagan king to, to do his will, to order things in the way that Yahweh wants it to be ordered. It comes as a complete surprise, uh, certainly to Cyrus. Um, I'm not sure that Cyrus knew he was being used by Yahweh or not. Um, but it would have also come as quite a surprise to the Jewish people to have a pagan king as their rescuers, as their, as their uh, Messiah. And we'll see how this Messiah, uh, you know, Cyrus is kind of a temporary Messiah. Uh, this idea of who the Messiah is is going to be expanded We have a beautiful picture here of Yahweh as Redeemer and Savior. And in these words, uh, verse, uh, chapter 45, verse 22, Yahweh says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. And Paul has these words burning in his mind when he writes Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name, this is Jesus, that is above every name, so that the name, of, name given to Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we catch in these chapters is a glimpse of the good news. And as that good news continues to grow, in Jesus we have the truest Messiah, who came not only to rescue Israel from exile, but to rescue all nations, all people, from the exile of death. We often think that the Old Testament is about law and judgment, and the New Testament is about love and grace. But here in these passages, we have the best of how these are tied together. The law is broken. Relationship with God is broken. But God releases his people to the consequences of their actions in exile. But God is driven by love to make a way for relationships to be restored, to bring abundant flowing life even in the midst of the wilderness. And as the poem unfolds, we'll see a bigger and bigger picture of what God is doing and how God is trying to bless all people and invite all people to be rescued or saved. This morning as we draw our worship to close, I'm going to remain up here at the front following the service. And love to uh, talk with anyone more about this good news and what it might look like to try and walk in step with Yahweh who loves each of us with a deep, passionate love. God longs to be restored in relationship to everyone, to each of us, and has made a way, has made the way for that to be possible. This is the Yahweh who comes to bring life, who walks with us through the waves and storms of life, 
who gives everything, even his own life, in order to be restored with each of us. May it be so. I invite you to uh, stand in body or spirit and turn in your blue hymnal to number 567, or words will be on the screen as well. Would you stand as we sing, How Firm a Foundation? <laughs> 